Good morning. You are listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. I'm Janine, and this is Get the Funk Out. If you're not familiar with my show, you can visit the show blog, which is getthefunkoutshow.kuci.org. And I can cannot believe I've been doing the show since 2011, and every show is up there, even the ones in the pandemic with my Zoom videos. So enjoy if you haven't seen it. All right, standing by is Kelly Sather, uh, winner of the Drew Hines Literature Prize for her forthcoming powerhouse of a book, Small in Real Life. And all her information, again, is on the show blog. She's a former entertainment lawyer and screenwriter. She has a really interesting background. And in this book, she captures emotion and ambition and humanity and conflict in all her characters on the search for power, fame, love, and the possibility of and redemption. She's joining us now. Hi, Kelly. Hi. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, it's great to be here. Thank you for having me. Congratulations on your book, Small in Real Life. Thank you so much. Thank you. If you could give us a sense, without giving too much away, of how did you decide to write this book and then structure it in the way you did? Well, you know, I started out writing, it's a collection of nine stories. And so I started writing sort of story by story. Mm-hmm. And initially, I did not have the book in mind. I was really, um, I was in that place where I was writing stories and I was submitting them to journals. And um, they were, I was felt really fortunate they were getting published, which was like so exciting. And then I started to realize that I had, um, I had a number of stories. And then I started to think of them as a book. And so it was kind of a funny progression because I didn't intend to write about Southern California, but I found myself going back to that imaginative space. Okay. And then as I worked on the stories, I kind of moved between um, between projects as I'm, as I'm working, even within the same day. And so I think they started to really weave together on their own, um, which is really interesting looking back because it was not some grand master plan uh, but I found when I looked at stories and realized that, okay, there's you know there's a dozen here. These particular stories, these nine stories really, really fit together. Were you living in California at the time? I was, but I was living in Northern California, which I think also helped to kind of create some distance. Okay. And uh, like a place to look into, um, look into. I wasn't necessarily writing about the past, but it was sort of this, oh, I can go to this place that I know in my mind um, and see what's there, and and the characters kind of came out of that. Okay. But you also have a background in screenwriting. Did you feel like, you know, as a screenwriter, this was was a visual process for you? Like, could you imagine this a movie? Because I could. Oh, yes. I, I think I naturally... I naturally... When I started out writing, I was writing stories and screenplays, and then... I um, realized for income, screenplays were really going to be the thing. And so I was writing screenplays for a while, and they taught me a lot about dialogue and thinking about conflict. And yes. often when I start a story, that's kind of where I start. Mm-hmm. And I love the I love thinking about these two people and what are they trying to get from each other and, you know, who's going to end up hurt. And um, I just was... Uh, and that was really something from, from writing screenplays, I think, came into it. I, I could see that in your writing. And because also in things I've seen, you know, let's say it's Netflix or whatever it is, um, there are these these uh, stories, they're short stories, and then you capture the characters and the conflict and the themes. And 
And I could I could sense that in your writing, your background in screenwriting. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's funny because now oftentimes I was in a workshop last summer and we were talking about how, as a writer, sometimes the TV, like TV shows are so excellent now that even as a writer, you can start to write like a TV show. And so you kind of have to watch that and look for like your, maybe your first, impulse is that this certain scenario would happen to a character and you kind of like dig a little deeper for mm-hmm. sort of the the less expected one um yeah and so that's uh, that's definitely part of you know that that sort of blend of screen and 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 the and short stories very cool did you know yeah. ahead of time the themes and the conflicts and things like that that you wanted to capture or did, did it just evolve as you were writing I think I did want to look at this feeling of desire and belonging and the mismatch. And then also, more so working, uh, the bit that I worked as an entertainment attorney, I was kind of surprised by the, um, I mean, there were so many different power dynamics. And sometimes people just really could say mean things to each other and Mm -hmm. get away with it. And I was really surprised by that. And so I think that always stayed with me. Um, and it's something that I'm that even in the stories that don't have to do with um, you know anyone that works in in the business, it, it sort of plays out in some way. Mm-hmm. Do you feel because I do when when you uh, tell people you're writing about you know these stories of people in California, there's such a perception of ooh the you know glamour and you know people want to be famous like. You wanted to capture that essence, didn't you? I did, and I also, though, I, and I kind of um, take that. I mean, I think also now with social media, we we all are experiencing that in different mm-hmm. ways. But I kind of wanted to take that and and look at how because I wasn't, well, I didn't grow up in the business or anything like that. But I mm-hmm. kind of felt those pressures of. Um, a certain kind of idea of success, yes. like kind of this imagined success. I mean, it's yeah. not like, I don't think everyone I grew up with wanted to be famous. It wasn't that, but there was this sort of feeling of specialness that was, yes. uh, do you have it or do you not have it? And right. um, and so that, I mean, I think the stories are set there, but they really, I think we all experience it. And, and yet, because California has that ethos, it's like something to really mm-hmm. um, play with. Yeah. It's interesting, yeah, because, you you know, people are either actors or screenwriters or, you know, just on that track because they want to be famous or they aspire to be in the industry. But it's so hard and it's it can be so rough and superficial. Yes. And, and also, I think um, if I think there's like a large amount of luck in it mm-hmm. and a larger and hard work. And so I think sometimes there's this feeling of well, if I make this choice and I do it, then ultimately it'll work out. Mm-hmm. And um, I think there's some hard choices that, that people make around that because sometimes it doesn't work out and then, you know, then where what? do you go from there? Yeah, yeah. And, and as long as you, as long as there's this creativity, um, I think that there isn't, I mean, there's like a sense of loss maybe, but there's there's always something else. Mm-hmm. But there is there is this like... Um, ego part that I that I really look into in the stories. Yeah. I remember I took a acting class years ago and the casting director said, 
have a full life. She said this to everybody. Don't just bet mm-hmm. on acting, voice acting, whatever it is you're doing. Do other things. Have a rich, you know, non-linear creative life. Thought that was great I like advice. that. Oh, yeah. 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 How did you decide yeah. your settings and, and the characters? Like you have, you know, an alcoholic paparazzi and, you know, like how did you, did these people, had you met some of these people or you just made them up? <laughs> <laughs> so I will say. Maybe I you don't did, want to say. I, did, <laughs> I know, right? Like I can't yeah. disclose any names. No, <laughs> I, I did. Um, I did have a funny experience as, an, as a young attorney where we were lectured about not revealing anything about clients. Sure. Because the clients were famous and it and it was funny because it still stayed with me all these years later so um, it's kind of a funny thing to have like wait did I say too much what did I say right are they gonna um, guess it's me <laughs> yeah yeah so um so they so really there I would take a thought I had or an experience or sort of something I observed and kind of go in a different direction it's like I was sort of following one thread of possibility. Mm-hmm. So like the alco- alcoholic paparazzo kind of came from, um, I a long time ago used to go to a gym in Los Angeles where the um, people who were at a recovery place would used to use the gym. And so I would sort of see famous actors sometimes that you would see in people. Ma- I mean, not sure. like, I feel like I read people magazine, but <laughs> yeah, you would see the covers, the, the, you know, celebrity news or whatever, and then you would see them in the gym. And so I always thought about that because I wondered what that experience was like for them. Mm -hmm. And then, um, and then I, so I kind of started to write about this and there was actually Raymond Carver story written about, um, a a friendship or rather competition in between two men in a recovery place. And so I, Mm -hmm. I always had that in my mind. And then, I kind of like slowly started to put these other pieces together. Yeah, I see. I think that's your screenwriter in you because uh, there are times I studied screenwriting here at UCI, a fantastic yes. program. And there yeah. are times when I just, if I'm at the airport or if I see something, I'm thinking that would make a great character in a script, you know? And so it's, I feel yeah. like you had like a file cabinet in your in your brain, you know, like, I think I'm going to draw on that. I know, because I think that's so true, because I hadn't thought about it this way before, because part of what, as I was describing the story, there's a um, market in Trancas, like when you're heading out into Malibu, where mm-hmm. there's a scene in the story that happens there. And as a kid, I always thought it was such an unusual place, like it felt like kind of on the edge of something. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and and then I saw it change, like, Malibu became a little more, I mean, that area is still um, pretty natural, but it became like a little fancier. And um, and so I sort of watched that change. And so I think part of what I was writing into is um, is some of that too. In that particular yeah. place, I really always wanted to see, see was, something play out there. That was great. I do want to mention uh, who I'm speaking with. We're speaking with Kelly Sather. It is Sather, correct? Sather. Sather, excuse me, Sather. Yeah. And uh, congratulations because you won uh, the prize, the Drew Hines Literature Prize. What was that like? It was so exciting. I had this collection and I was thinking about um, going out to agents, but it's sort of known that story collections, agents prefer novels. And so I sort of was just sitting on it. And then um, I was talking to another writer and she said, well, have you submitted to, to the contents or like the Drew Hines? 
And so I thought, oh, okay, I'll try. And so I submitted, and of course, I'm always really hopeful, like when you submit something, sure. like you're yes. hoping it's going to work out, <laughs> yes. and that you also know it's just so competitive. I of mean, and so is. I didn't yes. know. Yeah, and then when I got the email, I was it was fantastic. It was just such a huge moment to know the book was going to come out, and it was selected by Disha Filia, who um, has a terrific collection called The Secret Lives of Church Ladies. So that was really exciting that, that, you know, that she was the one that selected the manuscript or my book. So fantastic. Anything else you'd like the listeners to know about this book? Um, I think the only other thing I would say is that it's funny. There's sort of this wry, understated humor Mm -hmm. that um, when I'm writing, I'm always thinking about like, what is I'm always thinking about, like, what's going to be the next thing to turn the page, you know, and maybe that's also thinking about screenwriting, too. Yeah. So, um, so there's that, it's definitely, some, it's it's funny. <laughs> Did you want to, I don't know if you have a copy right nearby, but it, would you want to read a, a page or a little bit of it? Oh, um, yeah, that would be great. I okay. do have a copy nearby. Okay, okay great. Oh, you have to keep um, it um, G version. <laughs> okay. Okay. No, okay. No right. F-bombs. Not all the stories are yes. version, yes. right? Because I caught some little <laughs> f bombs there, so you know. <laughs> Thank you. I won't. I won't. I won't say any of that. Thank yes. you. Yes. I'll just. I'll just read a couple pages, or you can tell me whenever. Okay. Okay. I'll start at the beginning. Um, the story is called "The Spaniard." Two days before Jenny's sixteenth birthday, she got sick at school. They couldn't reach her mother so they gave her bus fare and sent her home on the RTD. She had chills and her head hurt, but she wasn't throwing up. We don't want those germs around here, the school secretary had said. It wasn't unusual to send a sick kid out the school gates with a $1.50 in her pocket. On the bus, Jenny leaned her head against the tinted brown glass. Los Angeles, April, 1984. Palm trees and cement drifted past her window. She thought about her bed, her comforter with pink roses. She felt its soft, quilted cotton press against her cheek. When Jenny got home, her mother's Volvo was parked in the driveway. No one answered the doorbell. She walked around the house, through the gate, to the backyard. She slid the pot of her mother's white petunias and picked up the key hidden underneath. But when she tried the back door, she found it unlocked. She walked through the laundry room, down a narrow hall toward the kitchen, where she would get a glass of water on the way to her bedroom. Suddenly, in the middle of the silent house, she heard a girlish twitter, unfamiliar, yet she knew it was her mother's voice. Her mother must be on the phone. But in the kitchen, her mother faced the miniature espresso machine, watching coffee drip into a tiny cup. She wore a waistless baby doll dress that showed off her tennis legs pink satin with white laced edges. A dark-haired man with glowing olive skin sat at the kitchen table, smoking a cigarette, plate of ashes by his right hand. He nodded at Jenny like she was a fellow patron at the coffee shop looking for a table and cleared his throat. A foreigner in a foreign land, Jenny thought. And then, as two streams of gray wisp blew out the man's polished nose, smoking kills. Mm. Her mother nearly. You want me to stop? No, there? go ahead. Go I ahead. can stop there. Yeah. Oh, okay. I read a little bit. Her mother nearly dropped the little cup on her way to serve it. What are you doing here? She said. I'm sick. Oh. Her mother looked her over. Jenny wondered if she looked sick. 
She slumped her shoulders forward. This is my friend Federico, her mother said. Jenny turned to the olive-skinned man. Hello, Federico. He bowed his shiny black head toward her. It is a pleasure to meet you. I did not know that Celia's daughter has the same fire eyes. His accent leaned on the C in Celia, so it sounded like Sia. Jenny's eyes were brown like her father's, Celia's hazel. Federico brought the tiny cup to his lips and drank his espresso in one swig. And now, he said, as if he were a magician about to conjure a rabbit from the pocket of his sleek trousers, I must leave you, beautiful ladies. His teeth were pure white. Federico paused in the doorway and raised his hand in a flat palm wave. Then the front door thudded shut. Celia stood flushed and preening in the middle of the yellow-tiled kitchen. Jenny pulled a glass from the cupboard and held its wide mouth under the tap. I want a car for my birthday, or I'm telling Dad. I, I love that when I read this. I'm like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I could thank picture you for everything. Her. Yeah, that was great. Yeah, thank you for the chance to read and talk about the book. Absolutely. Where can people find out more about you? So, um, kellysather.com, and then I'm on Instagram at kl underscore sather. Okay, and you now reside in Northern California? I do, yes. I'm just north of um, San Francisco, just over the Golden Gate Bridge, yeah. Fantastic. Well, I really enjoyed having you on. Congratulations on this book. Oh, thank you so much. It was, it was great to talk with you. Thanks for having me. You too. Take care. Have a great day. Okay, thanks. You too. Bye-bye. That was Kelly Sather, winner of the Drew Hines Literature Prize for her forthcoming book that is out now called Small in Real Life. If you missed any part of this, it will be up within an hour after I wrap as a podcast on the show blog, which is getthefunkoutshow.kuci.org. If you'd like to find out about being a guest, you can send me an email to Janine, J-A-N-E-A-N-E, at kuci.org.